Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Hey there. Welcome to episode 55 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. Today, my guest is Nick DiGiovanni, who was one of the youngest contestants and one of the three finalists at MasterChef's Season 10. Nick is a recent graduate from Harvard, and he has just launched a new startup called Voodles, Organic Veggie Pasta for Kids. In this episode, Nick talks about food competition shows on TV, sustainability, his startup, and his very successful engagement on social media. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. If you are new to this podcast, I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I interview trending chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists around the country. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Flavors Unknown. And you can find the show notes from these episodes and all the other episodes on the website flavorsunknown.com. And now, here is my conversation with Nick DiGiovanni. Hi, Nick. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. I'm really excited to have you today on the show. Thank you, Emmanuel. I'm, I'm very excited as well. This is like a fantastic uh, story, um, you know, of yours. A lot of people started to know of you and about you uh, when you came on the season 10 of MasterChefs. Let's start with this. And I'm just curious about what was your motivation to participate to MasterChef when? Uh, I always really loved food was the, was the main thing there. And I just sort of figured, you know, no matter what college I'm at, that didn't really matter to me in that sense. I just said, I have this ridiculous opportunity that I'm never going to get again. So I might as well just sort of go and see how, you know, see how it unfolds. So. I basically just packed my stuff and left and uh, was away from school for a couple months. I had the time of my life out there and then showed back up to school, back to campus like nothing had ever happened and finished my senior year. So it's actually a pretty, pretty great. It worked out perfectly. Yeah, there's a lot of people, you know, watching cooking shows, you know, on, on TV uh, here in the US. In the stats, it's like eight in 10 adults, uh, you know, are watching cooking show, but I'm just wondering what specifics, you know, appeal to you, you know, about cooking shows. I love the fast paced aspect of a cooking show. I think that's a really fun part where just it's, I guess, similar enough to working in a real kitchen in that sense where everybody's just pushed to go as fast as they possibly can. And I've worked in maybe three or four kitchens in my life too, in the back and, and have loved all of that. So I feel like it was almost the aspects that I love from a kitchen where it's that, you know, fast paced combined with that competitive aspect that I also love. So it was almost this perfect sort of intersection for me. So Bay, explain to me, you know, how, you know, was that experience where, in fact, you said you had, you know, worked in, in kitchens prior to the show, but this is a completely different setup. And obviously you are, you have camera in, on your face, you have the judges that are there. There's a lot of pressure. How would you, did you adapt to that? Yeah, I mean, it takes some getting used to, obviously, but I wasn't really too phased by that stuff. I just sort of, I think everyone was sort of 
thinking, oh, you know, meeting Gordon Ramsay, are you going to be really scared or whatever? And you're going to be nervous. And that didn't bother me at all. He was a super nice guy. And for me, it was just like meeting any other person. I think he likes that. He liked that. And so that was fine. And then with the cameras, I think that was just all about getting comfortable with your producer because we all had our own sort of producer and everything. And I loved mine. There's this guy named Jonathan. I got to know him really well. So I think that helped a lot. Just having him be the one that walked up to me with the camera. You just had to realize that there was an individual behind every single camera. So if you got to know all of those people, then it wasn't that weird, you know? So you're talking about Gordon Ramsay. So how is the guy? Because obviously there, you know, there is the the showman that we see on, on TV and there's a lot of, uh, you know, of yelling and, and uh, so is it like, is it the same guy, you know, off camera? There's like two different Gordon Ramsay's or? I guess there are sort of two different, I don't know what his answer would be to that question, but for me, I feel like, yeah, he's sort of got this really kind of very normal, you know, sweet side to him where he's just a nice guy. He's, he's a family man. He's, he's just, all about you know he gets to know everybody there and and i think that there's that and then the the other side of it is he's this very intense passionate chef so i like that i I thought that was really really cool to see both sides of him to see his family side a little bit and to see his passionate intense side and did you uh keep like contact with uh, the judges after after the show or uh yeah um yeah 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 i've talked to I've talked to a couple of them um, a little bit after the show. So I still once in a while interact with Gordon and then Joe as well. So uh, I talked okay. to a couple of them. Yeah. Okay. So how, how, who is Joe in, uh, in the show? Because he, he, it's, you know, he project himself being like a very cold, very serious, intense individual. So is he, is he like that as well in the uh, so when the cameras are off? I think he's just a really smart businessman and restaurateur. So he, he has to take that stuff seriously, obviously, but he's also just, a, you know, he's also just a really kind of relaxed, nice guy too. So it was nice getting to know both of just sort of all of them on and off air, if that makes sense. And you had a special relationship with them, one versus the others? I mean, I got along with Joe really well, um, but I also honestly really liked Gordon. I thought he was really, really nice. So I was friendly with all the judges and especially just all of the people that were working behind the scenes on on the show too. So. I, yeah, I mean, I, I made so many friends out there, which was really, really nice. It wasn't something that I ever expected. I'm sure that's, you know, I mean, you have done a lot of interviews since the, the, the show and during the show. So I'm guessing you're probably likely to be tired about those, those questions because they probably, you know, most of the time the same. But if there's that a question that you would have like someone, to, um, you know, ask you uh, about the show that uh, never, never one did? I don't know. I feel like. People sort of just assume that because it's a reality show, there's a lot of, obviously there's certain things that happen with the show that, that have to do with it being a reality show. But at the same time, there, there's a lot more sort of real cooking than that, than people I think assume. You know, they may look at the clock and see the 60 minutes on the clock and think that there's some wiggle room in there and that like it's not actually 60 minutes and that kind of thing. But really we're cooking really fast and, and that's all like some very kind of real intense cooking that happens in that time on the clock. So. That part of it I thought was really, really cool. I, I was just glad that there was, I, I was a little worried going on a reality show that there would be too much of that sort of fake behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, certainly in any reality show, that stuff is going to happen. It's just how, that's why it's a reality show. There's a lot of just real, you know, true kind of cooking. And, and that's what I was there for. So is it something that, um, you know, you will, uh, 
attempt like an you know an in the future i'm not talking about you know master chef but like cooking shows in 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 general is it something that that uh, you say hey that's going to be part of um you know of my future yeah or uh, this to. is I'm... behind you and no, or no, no, you I turned the page i i really enjoyed it i really did i think that when the time and place comes i don't know when it'll be i don't know what it will be i'll do it again if if i can so it was something that i just really i i love I felt like I was in my in my zone, um, and I felt like it was just the the thing for me. So, if I have the opportunity again, I, I would love to. So I'm sort of sitting and waiting and, and doing what I can outside of this to gear up and hopefully get that opportunity again. That would be great. And is it something that you feel that you would be a participant to a show, or can we even imagine? Because with everything that you are doing on on social media at the moment and, you know, little recordings and clips, you know, in Instagram and TikTok that you're maybe interested as well to have a show on your Yeah, own. I mean, that's a great question. I think, I think that it could go both ways. I've definitely thought about, you know, both of those. So um, I wouldn't be opposed to going on the side of the judges a little bit and, and getting to taste a bunch of other people's food. But I feel like I still have to prove myself a little bit before I can get in that position, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So maybe uh, we'll see you in a couple of years, you know, on, yeah, on TV maybe. again. <laughs> that would be pretty fun, huh? Absolutely. So you recently graduated from Harvard. What I read was really interesting to me is the fact that you have a focus on uh, your studies on something that was not like an established program in Harvard and that you convinced, and it took time from what I read, the establishment of Harvard to, you know, to accept and validate a course that's like a, a program that you self-design your major called Food and Climate. Can you explain to us like a little bit of what Food and Climate, you know, encompasses and then what was your adventure of, you know, creating this in, in this college? I think with food and climate, I worked super hard at trying to find a way where at Harvard, I could still pursue all the stuff that I wanted to pursue because they have this sort of strict curriculum that, you know, you can do a lot of different things, but there's 49 or 50 offerings for majors and concentrations. And for some reason, even out of all of those, I didn't find what I love. And so I sort of said, you know, I'm coming to one of the greatest you know, I'm lucky to be at one of the best schools in the world and, and I should be able to study what I want to study here. So I just worked really hard at finding a bunch of faculty that would help me to sort of fight for this concentration that was unique and new. And ultimately, I had all these really cool people helping me out. I mean, this world-renowned physicist, then we, I had Michael Pollan, and I had this, you know, the woman that kind of helped me back at all was this woman named Pia, who actually runs that whole science and cooking class at Harvard, which is that famous course, brings all the chefs in. And she just sort of like saw the same vision that I did, which is great. And she helped me see it through. So it was a fight. But, you know, once we had this concentration, it was it was all about, you know, learning about basically the intersection between the whole food system and, and climate change. So I got to look at restaurants, I got to look at farming, and I, I got to look at sort of the deep climate science, sort of everything, which is really, really cool. And from your opinion, what's um, the role can a chef play in this intersection of uh, food and the climate context that we are living in at the moment? Well, with so much information now, I feel like a chef can be really smart about at least trying to source food and ingredients that's coming from a good place. 
I feel like either way, you know, good food and good ingredients are the ones that are sort of grown, you know, oftentimes just the ones that are grown naturally anyway. So if you're actually going out and finding the best, best ingredients you can find, I think chances are most of the time they're going to be really good for the environment too, you know, even things like meat. When you go and buy, you know, meat from a cow that's just been kind of pasture raised and, and has all this free space to roam and that kind of thing. That is the most sort of sustainable on a small scale way that we can do that stuff right now. I mean, as opposed to these massive, massive farms that are trying to completely industrialize everything. You know, I think that I did try to study a little bit about chefs already have, you know, so much on their plate, obviously working in a restaurant. It's crazy. It's hard to just add this whole other layer of, Oh, we have to be conscious about the, the environment now. But at the same time, I, the food is such a major part of the climate, you know, system that that it's an important thing to think about. So, so thinking about you know climate changes, thinking about sustainability, you know, how do you see the balance between you know protein coming from you know animal protein or versus plant-based protein? Where it seems that you know there's much less fingerprints, you know, and the ecosystems when it comes to uh, plant-based and versus animal-based? I personally tried to even go vegan for a little while or even pescatarian sort of. And as someone who loves food as much as I do, it's not an excuse. It's more of just something that I thought I had a really hard time doing it. I would be more than happy to sort of, I do try to work in as many veggies and fruits as I can into my diet and then sort of put a little bit of meat on the, the edge of the plate after I've put some rice and some veggies, whatever. But at least in the near future, it's just, there are so many amazing things out there. I want to learn how to cook with everything. And I want to learn how to sort of, you know, work with every different type of protein there is. So it's hard for me to, to do that. So I, it's hard. I don't want to have this sort of double standard on it where I'm telling everyone else that they should be more conscious and then myself not be taking that as seriously as I can. But I mean, obviously it's important to really think about that. I think there's also just so many other problems, you know, food aside, I'm actually an even more bigger advocate for sort of for clean energy and, and switching over cars and that kind of thing, which I think is probably just sort of an, an even easier thing than telling people what to eat right now in a way. So I don't know, it's sort of, it's such a massive problem um, that's just going to keep getting sort of worse right now. And it's just, it's hard. It's, it's go, very, it's very going to be interesting, especially, you know, being at the, the starting point of your career and um, being part of that, the generation of people that are really into, you know, plant-based protein and you know being flexitarian um so that's definitely something that you are going to face you know i would say more and more in the near future yeah you're you're definitely right it's uh it's just very very difficult i i, I did a big project senior year of college trying to map it out and basically take the numbers that we're at right now for carbon emissions and all that stuff and bring them down to what are more uh, manageable levels for the for the environment and it was near impossible to do um, without having several sort of areas of of the world where you're changing something and looking at the number and being like, that's that is literally impossible. That's not going to happen. So it's very it's an uphill battle. So you were talking about, you know, your love, love for food and, and cooking. So and you mentioned that um, during your years at harvard you did some internships so you did one at a uh, three michelin star you know in san francisco and then you work as well on line cook in in cambridge so in 
you know, in Boston. So what, what did you learn from, from those experiences? They taught me different things, which was nice. The one in Cambridge, definitely sort of, I had this mentor who I'm really good friends with. She, she basically just sort of helped me day in and day out there at the restaurant, honing in on all sorts of new skills and, and learning about all sorts of new different techniques. And that was fun. I think the best thing I learned from that restaurant, honestly, was chopping chives. That was the thing that sort of <laughs> helped my knife skills out. And then once I learned to chop chives and have them all perfect or as close to perfect as I could, I, I could take anything and, and chop it up. And, 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 you know, I mean, once you've chopped chives, something like a julienne or whatever, brunois, it's like, it's just that much easier to do. That was the best thing that I learned out of that restaurant, funnily enough, is what I had to do every single day when I got there was part of my job. And then for Bennu in San Francisco, three Michelin stars is crazy, obviously. I think that the coolest part about that restaurant was that I went from a couple of restaurants where it could get loud once in a while. Um, it could get a little crazy on the line and stuff, but Bennu was totally silent. Um, it was this perfectly well-oiled machine. I mean, it was just amazing. They had it down to, to this arc where every night everybody was so prepared that the dinner service was a breeze. So I thought that was really cool. It was just this very, very well thought out, well prepared process every night. Are you going to do some um, other stages in, at, at restaurants? Is it some part of your future or this is again something you know, behind you? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, with, with what's happening right now, it's hard for me to, to know. I don't know if I'll do anything anytime soon. And I don't have anything planned on the horizon, but I, would, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I had a lot of fun and I felt right at home in all of those restaurants because, you know, you get welcomed by the whole staff and then you're part of the team. So I would do it again. Yeah. So you have an um, uh, interesting, uh, let's say, startup at the moment. So you, 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 this is what you're focusing your time on, correct? The Voodles startup, like the vegetable pasta yep. brand yep, for kids, that's correct? correct? So this is uh, a concept where, in fact, you decided to reinvent the way kids eat veggies. So can you, can you tell us more about Voodles uh, and the concept behind it? Of course, yeah. So I paired up with this doctor not long ago. He's a doctor in Boston. And basically, I had my chef hat on. He had his doctor get his white coat, his doctor's coat on. And we basically put our heads together and we thought about you know, how, how could we go about tackling the way kids eat vegetables? Because we were like, you know, it's such a big problem. Nine out of 10, you know, at least according to the CDC, kids don't eat enough veggies. And so, so we said, how can we fix that? And we thought about foods that kids love and pasta is immediately just always at the top of that list. What kid doesn't like pasta? And so we thought we'd make this vegetable-based pasta, this veggie-powered pasta that we're still working on and still tweaking, but um, we've already gotten it to market. We've sold some. Um, we're getting feedback from sort of every angle we can, uh, whether it's on the website, the packaging, the the process of actually shipping it, you know, everything. And it's it's going really well so far. So, you know, it's been really fun. I'm spending a lot of my time on that. And I, I'm excited to see what will happen. I think in the next, you know, the next year or so, we'll have a lot of progress. We'll have made a lot of progress on it, too. So, it's exciting to see there's a massive market for it out there. So we're, we're, we just got to keep working hard. Okay. And, and so is the, the, the pasta base 100% veggie? 
or this no. is there's there's a mix so how many percent like more or less you know and, and so, i'm not well, so asking the you metric, for the recipe yeah just yeah, to have course. an idea the main metric of the pasta is that we're proud about is that it's two it's so it's a full serving of vegetables per two ounce portion so i mean that's a and that's a lot of vegetables a two ounce portion is obviously pretty small so having a full serving of veggies in there is quite a lot so we packed as much as we can into this pasta and i'm guessing that uh, this is obviously uh, challenging you know just from a formulation standpoint in order to have like the right you know to to make it like a chef's table and you know to uh, to make sure that the cooking process as well is make like a, a very appealing you know end product to eat yeah yeah i mean it, it's not easy i think we're we've worked for so long in it and we've learned so much about it that we feel like we're sort of the vegetable pasta experts of the world right now it's pretty funny and we you know we've had so many different variations so much that that's been coming out of our ears at different points in time. So it's been fun. And, you know, we're always trying to make it better because it's very, very, it is really, really difficult, like you said, but we'll get there eventually. We'll get okay. to the point where we're happy. So what kind of uh, veggies do you have um, included in the, in the pasta at the moment? So what, we have, what's your offering? Yeah. Yeah. So we thought this one would be really fun and it's a sort of a fan favorite so far and it's pumpkin and carrot, which is cool. I mean, you, you don't often see pumpkin in, um, any product, let alone kids' products. So I think that's great. And then we have beet and tomato, which is also interesting, right? Because beet is beet is that really earthy, kind of difficult for even a lot of adults. But it's also very sweet, and it's where you get a lot of sugar for different products. So we're using that to our advantage. And then um, the last one is broccoli and sweet corn. So we just sort of thought broccoli is sort of that iconic vegetable that, you know, it's impossible to get kids to eat it. And so we're going to try and see what we can do. When did you launch the the brand? Um, well, we kind of soft launched it probably in uh, late July, early August, but we've been working on it for quite a while, and that was sort of our V one launch. So we'll have the sort of version two soon. It's tough, probably, uh, of course, twenty twenty for you guys because you know when young companies like this launch a the product, there's like a lot of you know trade shows out there. I'm thinking of the fancy food show, for instance, you know, being one of them where, um, you know, a company like yours, uh, you know, could feature and, you know, the, the product, but there's obviously at the moment, none of those shows are taking place. So probably more difficult than, um, than a normal year. Fancy food show is one of the, you know, that's obviously the big one. Like you said, we, we thought about trying to go there and we were all geared up and sort of excited to give it a shot. And then obviously it got canceled. So. But we'll, those things will come back. It'll give us some time. You have to look at the bright side, obviously. And, you know, hopefully it'll just give us some time to be even more prepared and gear up a little bit more for it. So, so let's switch gears a little bit here. I'm interested in your background, like your family background, because you're a mix in the family from like an Italian origin and Persian origin and background. So... It's an interesting double heritage, and I'm just curious how it influenced your cooking, I would say, or food culture and, and cooking style. Yeah, well, double heritage, and even honestly more, I, so I have an aunt who's Indian, you know, I'm not, not blood related to her, but I've learned a lot there. And then I, you know, the, the Persian side from my grandfather, and then the Italian, German. So there's so many different backgrounds, which is really, really lucky within my family. I mean, that's been extremely helpful in sort of shaping the way that I cook because I think I've gotten so many different techniques and mindsets when it comes to food that it's just been amazing for me. Can you give us, um, you know, examples of things that you are cooking at home that uh, yeah. 
comes from the there was a heritage. Yeah, of course. I mean, well, so from the Persian side, I have tadig. You know, that's obviously a fan favorite. If you can get that perfect crispy rice, people are always blown away by that, and it's so simple and yet so amazing. And then, you know, for Indian, I think I always made a lot of chai tea, which was delicious. And so I've been making that once in a while. And I also I also love to make chicken. You know, like a really good slow cooked Indian chicken dish. So. I love chicken korma. I don't love spice, but I love chicken korma. And I don't know anything where you slow cook chicken in the oven for a couple hours, and it sort of gets itself ready. And it's one of those fall apart amazing dishes, topped with you know over some little rice. It's just so good. And then the Italian stuff. I, I make handmade pasta all the time, almost every week. So from that sense, I it's funny because you know when I think about it and say it out loud, I'm actually making all of this different stuff a lot, which is great. So you're talking about um you know pasta and you know pasta being even if it's veggie pasta that's you know on your your company when I have you know a guest on the show I am I'm picking up their brain and ask them to share maybe like a, a recipe that would be you know your style so maybe maybe we could focus on pasta because that's your world and so what would be your suggestion for like a home cook like a foodie or the food enthusiast to prepare you know pasta that will be nick style you know what yeah. kind of spin would you suggest them to make i find it hard to beat just a good homemade pasta with with some homemade pesto that's always my go to and my favorite it's so easy it's so delicious there's nothing like you know blending the pesto up in the in the blender and then taking off the lid and it's all hot and steamy and it's just the one of the best smells i've ever found in the kitchen and then i if you want to be a little bit more challenging to yourself there's always that egg yolk raviolo you can make where you sort of take a little bit more time and precision and try to fold in an egg yolk into your pasta you know and keep it whole where you get this amazing kind of sauce from the egg yolk after you break it open so there's so many different ways to go with that How important is social media in uh, your life? <laughs> Because you have a hit like record of followers, you know, both on Instagram and and TikTok. In fact, in a very a record in terms of like growth uh, in a very very quick time. How does it fit your? Uh, let's say it seems that there's like a strategy, like a long term or medium term strategy here. So if you maybe can talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, it's definitely really helpful to have that platform. It comes with a responsibility, obviously, to have you know so many people that are looking up to you, or just looking to you for inspiration when it comes to food on social media. It's a lot of work. I mean, it can be sort of stressful too. You don't want to let people down. You always want to make sure you're sort of giving them something new to work with. So it's really hard. There's a lot of pressure. You know, when you have tens of thousands of people looking at. Every every story you put up, even which is seemingly sort of this small little thing, and then you have, you know, more like a hundred thousand something people looking at any posts you've put up. That's a lot of people. That's more than it's hard for me to sort of think about. It's sort of crazy. And then on TikTok now, it's like I've been growing by a hundred thousand people every single week or a couple days sometimes. So it's I'm thinking in no time I'll be at a million followers on there by sometime in. October, which is just unthinkable. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's just a lot. But I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. At you know, it makes me really happy when I make something, and then someone takes it home and actually makes it themselves. Because for a while, I just sort of saw people make stuff 
online and I was like, well, you know, that's cool. It's just for people to look at. But now that I'm realizing people are actually here to take my recipes once in a while and they're so sort of invested in trying out things that I put up, that's really exciting. So I'm going to keep doing it. How do you um, keep fresh when you are posting? Because, you know, with this pressure, you know, there's so much that you can come up with, you know, in terms of engagement and stories. Uh, and so what's your approach here? That's why it's hard. I mean, that's why it's really challenging and, and there's a lot of pressure. I have to sort of work every day. I have long days right now is, is the reality. I, I wake up pretty early. I, I start in the morning and maybe make like a quick smoothie for breakfast. But after that, I'm pretty much just off and, you know, cooking right away, making some different things that I can share that week. And then midday, I'll usually sit down and take a quick bite while I look through a couple emails. And I also answer emails all day long and that kind of thing. And then I film more in the afternoon. And then in the evening, I'm editing a lot of stuff. So um, I'm still editing so much of my own stuff, every single TikTok video. And each one of those takes quite a while. So it's like there's there's nights where I work till 1.30 or 2 in the morning just editing some of those videos and then go to bed. But then the other thing is almost like running a restaurant in a sense and on a small scale where I have to order ingredients every day or whatever. So keeping on top of that is also hard because I'll run out of things and I'll, I'll need sure. specialty ingredients. And it's just like this never ending sort of thing, but it's fun. So you have almost like to find time as well to step back and, and think about, you know, what are like the new concept that you should come up with, uh, you know, you have to come up with to stay um, current. And, you know, and bring something new. Um, right. You know, there's the production aspect, but there is as well like the strategy aspect and the planning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different parts to it. When, when you watch a video online and you think about and, you, and you know, you watch someone cook a piece of salmon, you don't think about the fact that first, the, you know, they had to actually go get the salmon and then they have to actually sort of set up for it, then film it, then clean mm -hmm. up for it and then edit it. So there's so many different yep. things. Um, that go and you do that on your video. own? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'll say I have like my, some friends and roommates helping mm -hmm. me with, um, you know, some dishes and that kind of thing once in a while, which is really nice. But they also get to help me with eating them. So that, that's sort of a, a wash in my book. And then. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's so. a win-win situation here. Very yeah, good. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought that, um, you know, from like the, the, the recent series of posts that you had done on, on Instagram, I really like the challenging aspect that you have done with uh, some food service brand, you know, like the recent ones with Krispy Kreme, you know, with the donuts, but, uh, you know, you had McDonald's, Zahats, you had uh, Harvey's and Wendy's and, and, yeah. and so on. How <laughs> yeah. did you come up with that, with that idea? I think it's pretty neat. I also have a, a management company that I work with and they help a lot. Um, they're amazing. Actually, my manager's Persian and I was ridiculously lucky to find her. She helps sort of strategize for different things once in a while too. And I think she actually came up with the idea. So I'll give her full credit for that. And it's a really cool idea. It's been really fun. I'm just sort of, it's not something that hasn't been done before. Obviously there, you know, everyone likes to take a food once in a while and try to copy the, the Chick-fil-A yeah. sandwich or whatever, you know. Or make a better right. version of it. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's other things. But but um, I'm also doing some, I, I mean, I think I have done some restaurants that I have not seen anyone else do as well. So it's been fun. It's definitely also sort of a new thing. And people enjoy it because it's very relevant. And, you know, every, everyone's had 
maybe some nuggets or some. Everyone's had some of these places at some point, a Krispy Kreme donut, whatever. So it's very relatable. And it allows you as well to bring like a guest, you know, with you, which is uh, very, um, let's say, strategic as well when it comes to exposure and, you know, right, when, yeah. um, and, you know, with the, uh, the follower, the following, you know, from, from the guests. So that's, that's really neat. So congratulations. Yeah, that's a, yeah, thank that's you a great so one. That's a great one. I know it's it's early and, and you described that um, you know you have a lot on your plate, <laughs> you know, the, during the day. But yeah. I, I would like to um, finish the interview with a, a series of rapid fire questions, if it's okay with you. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so I, I know things are a little different at the moment, you know, with uh, with the pandemic. But you know, we still can go uh, some places. Things are open for at least twenty five percent or outside still. So if you and I are going on the tasting tour, like around Boston, so what are like the five spots you will take me to? Oh, that's a good question. So probably Toro. Then I take you over to Eventide, which is in Fenway. They have the, the a greatest lobster roll out there. So I'm going to make the list and I'll say it again. So Toro, Eventide. <laughs> then I'll take yes. you to Teyaki NYC, which is this really good Japanese ice cream restaurant over in the seaport. So those three. Oh, also, man, that's also really good. It's hard. Another ice cream place. I'm not a big ice cream fan, but Tuscanini's also has really good ice cream. So I'd maybe okay. do two little dessert places and then three, three food okay. places. So those four. And then what's maybe one more? I'm a big fan of sushi. Okay. Yeah, me too. So Oya is really good, but I'm pretty sure they just closed permanently. So maybe... Mm-hmm. Uni is uni is pretty good, yeah. But the last one would be some sushi spot. I think one of okay. them close. So, so it'd probably be what did I say. Yeah, yeah. So Toro, Eventide, Uni, Teaki, NYC, and uh, Toscanini's. I think are the five. Very cool. Yeah, Toro is. You know, I'm so disappointed. Like they they close. You know, Toro in New York, in Manhattan. But I've been. You know, I, I had Jamie Bisonet on on the show as well great guy and uh, i love copa as well in um in boston but i never been to little donkey so i still have to do that <laughs> little donkey is, is one of my favorites the, if i didn't put that on the list it was just because i didn't want to put two of the, two like, the same sort of, two restaurant of group. yeah <laughs> but i actually <laughs> almost might put little donkey first over toro because it's really really good they have this burger that's a like a foie gras burger it's like a it's just a pretty classic burger, but it's very sort of soft bun. They put a little piece of foie gras on the top. It's just this fatty, just delicious, sort of mind-blowingly good burger. So oh, they have put up a couple of potato chips in there. So you got your crunch, you got your fat, you got oh, a lot cool. of salt. It's just yeah. a really good burger. So what's your favorite guilty pleasure food? So I'm a big fan of the Five Guys burger because that's really good. I, I like Five Guys over Shake Shack over every other place. I love very oily and stuff, but it's just a good burger. And as for when it comes to sort of dessert, I don't really have dessert very much. I eat a lot of mango, mango popsicles, believe it or not. I don't know why. Oh. I just love mango. Oh, wow. And so mm -hmm. it's weird, but it's, it's good. And I think those are probably the two sort of main ones for me. I don't know. You know, I'll snack once in a while, but I don't know. It's a, I don't have any specific food really maybe that, that I would just pick if, but a good, you know, really sort of dripping with oil burger can be good once in a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Three cookbooks that inspired you the most. 
So I liked the flavor Bible because that helped me sort of nail down yep. some flavor combinations. And I also really enjoyed, so the flavor Bible, definitely the French Laundry is obviously that classic cookbook that you sort of, you know what I'll say is my third cookbook is almost, I won't pick a cookbook, I'll say I love um, looking at cookbooks that have really, really good high-end pictures in them because I think that gives me more inspiration sometimes than the actual recipe itself. If you could teleport to any restaurant in the world for dinner tonight, where would you go? Oh, yeah. I would go down to Central in Lima, Peru, I think. I think that's right. Okay. I met Virgilio Martinez a couple of years ago. And ever since, I've just really wanted to go to that restaurant. It just looks like he lives in a place where he's got endless, amazing ingredients that you can't try anywhere else in the world. And I just always okay. have dreamed of trying them, them out. So last question. So you, you are, you know, a young man, you are at the beginning of your career. So what are like two things that you have on your bucket list? Like the top two things on your bucket list? Like we talked about earlier, I would really, really love to do some sort of cooking or food show someday. I think that's always been, especially ever since MasterChef, a dream of mine. I just want to keep sort of sharing my love for food. I I mean, once you fall in love with food, it's hard to it's hard to think in any other way. It's just just such an amazing thing to to work with, and it makes everybody happy, and it's the most relatable thing that I can think of. You know, out of anything out there, it's just everybody ha has to eat to live, and many many people probably find their greatest source of enjoyment in food, which is which is great. So that would be really, really fun if someday I could, I could have some sort of food show or be on a show or whatever. I would love to do that more. And then bucket list. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that I think of, but when I think bucket list, I think more of sort of like some, something outside the box a little bit more. Cause obviously I want to sort of, you know, go the classic route of like, just, I, I want to kind of focus on, you know, all of those, all of those great things like family and, and that kind of thing. But, but bucket list wise, I think the other thing maybe would be I mean, everybody says travel, but I think there are still, like you said, I'm, I'm very young and there's still so many places I want to go because food comes from all over the world. So when I'm sitting here thinking, I think, um, I think of salmon, I think of the Faroe Islands and there's so many places where different foods come from. And we always think of, um, you get your uni from, I mean, a lot of it's from Santa Barbara, but then there's, there's, there's a lot from Hokkaido, right? So there's so many places where these famous foods come from different um, notable places and I would love to go around and and look at them at the source and stuff like that I think that would be a really fun thing to do someday thank you Nick for being uh, on the show and I wish you all the best for your future and uh, the career that is uh, just um, you know in front of you so thank you thank you Emmanuel I really appreciate it absolutely hope you enjoy this episode with Nick DiGiovanni I wish him all the best for his future. And you never know, maybe one day we will see him back on TV hosting a cooking competition show. If you like today's episode, please share it with another chef or a food enthusiast or a friend. If you are on Facebook or on Instagram, make sure to follow us at Flavors Unknown. I want again to give a shout out to a great forum and educational resource for chefs called The Learning Chef. It is created by chefs and for chefs. They have a great Facebook page and Facebook group called The Learning Chef. Make sure to check it out. 
My next guest will be Chef Lamar Moore from Chicago, who is now based in Vegas after winning the TV competition show called Vegas Chef Prize Fight. We will talk, obviously, about the competition, his culinary influences, mentorship, and the challenges that African-American chefs are facing in the industry. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review. Find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. And if you want to join the Flavors Unknown community, search Flavors Unknown on Instagram and Twitter.